All right. Church, have you ever moved across the country and had the joy of packing up your house and trying to figure out where stuff needs to go in a box and put away. My wife and I, one of our major moves in our life, uh, we moved from Seattle, Washington, that area, to Richmond, Virginia. We moved from Seattle with a, a five-bedroom house. That was nice. And when we moved back to Richmond, we couldn't really find a place that was you know, financially reasonable so we settled for a two-bedroom apartment. And this is what you see uh, was the result of that. Uh, there was a lot of things that we had, and we just didn't have space for it. Uh, and on moving day, <laughs> the movers were like, where are we going to put all this stuff? <laughs> you know, here's our little tiny little kitchen in that two-bedroom apartment. Uh, boxes are being stacked up to the ceiling, so there's no lighting at all. This is the living room. There's like this little tiny little walkway where you could carry a box all the way to the back bedrooms. But there's a lot to unpack. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning in John chapter 14. There is a lot of content here to unpack. Uh, and I, I, I love hearing the, the pages turn there already. But I, I just want you to know, like, we could probably spend the next like two months just talking through this these 14 verses, this chapter in John, and still not feel fully satisfied and done with the passage. There is a lot of content here. Now, I've chosen some things to really highlight and go through specifically, but I don't want you to feel like, oh, he missed this. Oh, he missed that. No, I didn't. I just chose, unless you want to be here till, you know, <laughs> dinner time with me. <laughs> we could. So there's five things that we're going to talk through today and how they relate to us. What, what's our takeaway from this? What's our application? So these five things, uh, we're going to start with uh, the troubled disciples. Why are they troubled? And how, what does that mean for us? How does that relate to us as, as followers of Jesus? We're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. All right. The 830 service also hooped and hollered too. That was great. We're going to talk about the sixth I am statement here in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're also going to unpack unity in the Father. Jesus makes a bold declaration here and further emphasizes that for us. And it's, it's awesome in how we unpack this. And also we're going to talk about greater works than these. What does that mean? As you see, there's a lot to unpack today. There's a lot of major things that we need to hold on to. And I, my goal for us is that we walk through this with hearts open uh, and the ability to put ourselves in the disciples' sandals uh, <laughs> as we walk through their perspective on this as well. Before we dive into God's word, let's go ahead and let's pray and we'll, we'll start. Lord, I just pray for our time together this morning that it would be fruitful, that it would be a blessing to your heart to see 
uh, our eyes, our minds, our hearts just open to you, to the hearing of your word. Lord, we are here because we are willing to praise you and to submit to you as ruler of our lives. Lord, help us. Unveil mysteries to us today so that we can walk in more newness. Lord, we praise you and we give thanks. Amen. Hey, I'm going to adjust my uh, little device here. It's driving me a little crazy. There we go. All right. John chapter 14. Can y'all see that? All right. So this is Jesus talking. This is, uh, that's why the words are in red. I hope that you can visibly see them. Uh, remember the, the, the setting that this is taking place. This is in the upper room. This is a very condensed room as there's 12 grown men along with Jesus around a big old table because they share a meal and there's not a whole lot of space. I imagine just like a really cramped space, kind of humid, right? Uh, a hot, hot evening. And this is where we are. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going away to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? (laughs) Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father. That's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe just because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. To set the table, no pun intended, uh, we are, we're going to start off with a little Star Wars play on words here. Troubled you are uh, for the disciples. Jesus starts off talking to them, and he says, do not let your heart be troubled. And I always kind of imagine like this reference to like when we have, whenever there's an angel or a heavenly being coming, what's always their first words out of their mouth? Do not be afraid. (laughs) 
This is kind of the same context. Hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, of course, Jesus is in human form, not in his godly splendor in this. There's a reason that people are afraid when they see an angel, because I don't know if you've seen like the YouTube clips of thousands of eyes all around, and it's crazy to think about. The Bible gives great detail on this, but as we, as we go into talking about the disciples, why are they troubled? Why are their hearts troubled? Why is Jesus pointing this out? Well, let's look into it. Let's provide some context. Jesus pointed at them and said, hey, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me. I'm going to leave you. Bye. I'm going to die. And the disciples are all thinking, but you're the Messiah. You're not supposed to die. You're crazy. Before this, Jesus stripped down and wrapped himself in a linen cloth and washed their feet. Let's just pause there. You're in a meeting and your boss is in there and they strip down and wrap a towel around their waist and they start washing your feet. Who else would be freaked out? (laughs) Right? This is the son of God serving the disciples in this way and loving them. Their hearts, are, their hearts are troubled. And this leads, as we see in the account from Luke chapter 21, they start arguing about who the greatest disciple is, who's going to have the best seat in heaven. And Jesus is telling them, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. You're looking at it the wrong way. All these things would definitely trouble us, right? If we're in that room with Jesus. We, we have the sandals of the disciples on our feet and we are, we're watching all this unfold. Wouldn't you be troubled? But Jesus, in his comfort, he talks to them. He spends a lot of time talking to them. And there's some assurances that he gives them. He says, yeah, I'm going to leave you, but I'm coming back. Now, of course, the disciples are probably thinking, okay, yeah, you you go away at night, you're going to go pray, and then you're going to come back. But Jesus is really referring here to his second coming. Here, let's read. He says, if I go away and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Is that comforting? Now, when I started the teaching, I did tell you about the five things, but there's two things I forgot to tell you about. Uh, And that's found within this passage. There's some false interpretations that we need to be aware of. We really need to take some time to just dive into this too. And 
protect our minds and our hearts from this. Some of you might know already what I'm going to. And it's an English word. And it's that word mansions. As you saw in the uh, Bible translation that I had, it said many rooms. Some of your translations have mansions. And we think of this big English terminology of this huge mansion. It's got 47 rooms, gold molding all around. Look at my mansion. Statues here and there. Can't wait to get my mansion. Yeah, God's there too. But I'm waiting wait for my mansion. We have hymns about it too. And we sing it as if it's just as, that's more blessed assurance than being with the Father. It's not. Don't misinterpret this word. This is a, a dwelling place. It is a place that you reside in. The same Greek word is also used later on in John chapter 14 in verse 23, where it says, the Father and I will be in them. We will make our home in them. It's a place of residence, a place to reside in. Kind of makes, doesn't make any sense to be like, the Father and I will make our mansion in him. <laughs> no. In fact, back in uh, the early Christian church of the first century, the this term was more of a, a, more like a tavern, if you will, like a place where visitors would come in, they'd stay the night, and then they'd leave, okay? It was a place of residence, a residing place. So just beware, this is not the English term mansions uh, that, that some translations have, okay? This is more a tiny apartment that they happen to be in right now. The second coming of Christ. Jesus says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. I know, I hear some can't waits. Can we just take a time out here? Let's, let's compare this to normal life. Uh, husbands. Husbands. Oh, okay, thank you guys. <laughs> When, you, when your wife has gone away, say she went on like a women's retreat or she's going to visit family, she's going to come back, right? Do you take the time to prepare the house? <laughs> You're like, okay, I want to I make this special when my wife comes home. I really want to, you know, I, I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to do the laundry. I'm going to make the bed. <laughs> I'm not a slob. Now, how many of you also get that text message, hey, I'm going to be home in an hour. I haven't done a single thing on my list to prepare my home or our home for her when she comes. Guess what? We're not sending a text message to Jesus saying I'll be home in an hour. But he has been diligently preparing a place for us. He's not like me. I'd be scrambling at the last minute, throwing all the kids' Legos like into the closet, <laughs> trying to make it look nice. Jesus is a lot more diligent and gracious and loving. It's just going to be awesome to see what heaven's going to look like. This assurance, I will come again and take you to myself. Now, there, there's more context here. Again, we're in the disciples' place. 
They are following Jesus. They have been on the road walking and traveling and not really having a home. That's a kind of hard concept for us as Americans to really think about. Like we, we have shelter over our heads, there's air conditioning, refrigerator pull food out of. They, they were living not this lifestyle, something completely different. And Jesus' assurance is, I'm preparing a place for you. What? <laughs> we, you don't have any land. <laughs> no, no, no. It's in heaven. Guys, this is not home. Remember that. Jesus is preparing home for us. So ultimately, Jesus is going and promising that he will come again to bring those that believe in him home. Is that, a, is that a comfort to you? Out of all the daily struggles that we might have, it doesn't really measure up in the end because it's not home. It's not home. We're coming upon the sixth I am statement here. This, one of, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, let's, uh, let's read this, starting in verse 5. Lord, Thomas said, don't you appreciate Thomas? <laughs> he gets such a bad rap doubting Thomas, right? Like, he gets such a bad rap. But I, I honestly think we would probably ask the same question. I know I would. I'd be like, look, I, I know you're going away, but I don't know where you're going. Just show, <laughs> show me the way. And Jesus' response, it, it cuts through the confusion. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anybody here closed-minded? Everybody should have their hand raised. <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through me. There's going to be more opportunities for participation, so I'm going to expect the volume level to, to turn up a little bit. We are closed-minded from this teaching. There's no other way. Now, going back, Jesus is making this statement of I am. That's an obvious reference to when Moses was with God at the burning bush. And God said, before Abraham was, oh, thank you, thank you, there we go. I am. He's declaring his name. And when Jesus says this, he is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you look in the Gospel of John, there's seven accounts of this where Jesus says, I am dot, dot, dot. But, and each time before and after, he always says one thing. I am the good shepherd, the door, the gate, the vine. This time he's bringing up three. Do you think that's important? The way, the truth, and the life. Look at it in comparison to the disciples right now. 
in this room, their hearts are troubled. Some of them are floundering about. They're wandering. Well, are you wandering? Jesus is the way. Some of them are confused and distraught in their minds. Jesus is the truth. And we also know that one of them was dead inside. Fear not, Jesus is the life. This application holds true to all of us today in this awesome statement. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And this challenge to us will come back at the end of the the message today. But I do want to focus on the paradox here in these words. Because hindsight is 2020. I'm so glad that's over. (laughs) But we we have the privilege of having hindsight, right? We're able to see what happened you know, in, in the story of Jesus and the account, the historical accuracy of it. And, and Jesus is talking about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, look back. What was Jesus' way? The cross. Thomas, that's where he's going. Jesus' truth is that he was surrounded by a court of liars that wanted to kill him. Because he told the truth. And Jesus' life is ultimately given so that we can have life everlasting. Do you see the paradox in this? It's from a German theologian, Tomas A. Kempis. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow. I am the truth in which you must believe. The life for which you must hope. Again, without Jesus rising from the dead, I mean, what's it all for? We've unpacked a lot already. So far we've talked about troubled disciples and how that relates to us. We've talked about the second coming of Jesus talked about the I am statement here. Now we're going to dive into unity in the Father. What is he talking about? What does this mean? Let's read. Starting here with Philip's question. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father. That's, that's, that's enough for us. Hey, Jesus, Enough. Just give us the end game. Show us the Father. We're good. And Jesus sees right through it. I, am, I just imagine Jesus like looking at him like, come on, dude. <laughs> Philip, do you remember earlier, you know, like maybe a year or two ago when I said, I and the Father are one? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? How cool is that? 
This is a, a quote I found from a commentary. Uh, but I, I'm not going to read all of it to you. Uh, but I'm just going to start right there in the middle. Philip does not understand that no one has seen God. It is beyond our human capacity. Reflect back to Moses. Moses had this request. Hey, God, I want to see your glory. God's like, you can't handle my glory. <laughs> but in Christ, Philip has performed the full embodiment of God as it can be seen by humanity. In seeing Jesus, Philip is seeing God. And this is one of the high points in the Gospel of John and his Christology. Jesus is not simply a religious teacher or a guide, nor is he simply the means to some other destination. He's not a bus. He's the goal. Anybody watch soccer? You hear those announcers? Goal! That's what Jesus is! Are you excited? He is the one in whom God can be found. And this is such an exhaustive claim that he makes. Don't miss it. He's saying, I and the Father are one. He is laying the foundation for the doctrine of the Trinity. Which later on, as, as John taught us last week, by sending the Holy Spirit, the advocate on our behalf. God is three persons in one. He's not just like God the Father, you know, like, Doing his thing. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, God, Jesus, son, over here. You know, I'm just doing my thing. And Holy Spirit, you know, doing their thing. No, they're one God. And I, 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 I can deduce with clever thinking that when John wrote at the beginning of his account, something clicked right here because he's like, hold up. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And John points it out clearly in John 1, 1 and 2. Let's read this. I'm going to prompt you, okay? So we're going to have some more participation. So when I point to you, you're going to, you're going to read, okay? In the beginning was? Who's the word? Jesus. And the word was? And the word? He was? In the beginning. And John has this impactful statement. He's remembering this night. Jesus said he was with God. It wasn't that God, the Father, existed, then created Jesus, then created the Holy Spirit. No. They existed together from the onset. And again, this is such great foundation you want to read this again? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves, the works of the Father through Jesus. I know, I know this is, we're talking about a very complex doctrine and it's, it can be very confusing for someone that is, you know, a first time 
like coming to know Christ and, and just unraveling the mystery of this. So I'm glad that you're sticking with me. It's even a mystery to some who has been walking 50 years with the Lord. It is a complex thing. Jesus has unity in the Father. And he's telling his disciples that. He's giving them peace in their hearts when he says this. Hey, hey, guys, remember. I and the Father are one. I got this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You ever move and you get to the last few boxes? You start celebrating. Then you realize what was in those boxes. <laughs> and there's a lot. But before we get to that, we've got to time out again because we are approaching a point of Scripture where there can be false interpretations. So this is the second one. And this is, we all do it. I am so guilty of it too. Everybody, you know, bow your heads. We're going to pray. You don't know what to say at the very end, so you just throw it up there. In Jesus' name, amen. Because that's the only way we know how to conclude our prayers. What, is, what does this mean? The false interpretation here, just to be as super direct as possible, is we are not speaking into existence what we want. Remember that. This is not, oh Lord, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name, amen. It's not that. Scriptures will teach that. What Jesus is saying here in these verses is that we need to have a submissive heart to his will. This is a heart check for us when we pray. When you are praying and you're, you're, you're struggling with the Lord in your prayer and it comes to this, this point, Lord, am I submitting to you right now? Am I in your will? Do you want me to do this? If it is, let it be so. Because it's in your name. I need this assurance. It's not some Hail Mary pass 70 yards down the field. Missing the target completely. Greater works than these. Again, put yourselves in the disciples' place. I almost said shoes. <laughs> put yourself in the disciples' place here. Jesus says, you will do greater works than these. I don't know about you. I can't raise no one from the dead. I can't walk on water. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking the same thing. What are you talking about, Jesus? If someone touched my robe, they touched my robe. They're not healed. What are you talking about? Let's read this. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these. 
Jesus is talking about the Great Commission. His commandment to us. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, it's recorded as Jesus ascends, he gives his disciples command. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Then after that, he tells them instructions after they're made. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to teach them. These greater works is more talking about the impact of ministry. You see, Jesus' ministry was focused in a very select area of the globe. And Jesus' disciples, and the explosion of the early church, and where it is today, now, it's all over the map. We're not done yet. There's still people that don't know the name of Jesus. And we are called to make disciples. Now, it's easy enough to say, all right, uh, you're a Christian. Great. Uh, you're a Christian. Great, great, great. Yeah, yeah. We're not told to just make them and leave them. <laughs> Let them dry out. We are commanded, after they accept Jesus as Lord, to stay with them, to nurture them. When, you're, when your plants are growing, you don't just see the little sapling be like, all right, you're on your own. <laughs> Did my part. <laughs> right? You want that thing to produce fruit. I want some strawberries out of this. I got to keep watering it. <laughs> and we desire the same thing as disciple makers. Church, are we? Are we being disciple makers? Are we following Jesus with the intent to make disciples? It's a question that I wrestle with. Am I using my time wisely? It's so easy to say, Lord, I have four kids. They're my disciples. I'm making disciples with them. I'm too busy to do anything else. When I stand before the Lord, do you think that answer is going to hold up? I don't think so either. I think I'm called to something higher. I think I'm called to do life with people, to love them. Show them the way that Jesus taught. Jesus did this. When he's talking to uh, Peter and Andrew, he looks at him. He's like, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Three things in there that are just solid. One, follow me. Two, I will make you. Three, fishers of men. Church, the greater work, there's no other joy that's worth comparing to than bringing someone and helping them know who Christ is. There really isn't. Then nothing compares to that. No lottery, winning lottery number, 
No home run that you hit, piano recital that you nail. None of it matters. Bring and walk with people in life. Stephen, how do I do that? I'm too busy. Well, step one, get less busy. (laughs) Step two, pray about who is in your inner circle or in your circle of reach right now that you could reach and bring it before the Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Be in unity with the Father on this. Lord, who are you asking me to reach out to? I had a great account a couple weeks ago on Glory Tuesday uh, in the 830 service. Joel Gardner was talking about this. Who was in his circle? It was someone close by. And he had never thought to share this. And he's, uh, I'm giving God the glory today. Who is in your circle? Pray for that person and find the opportunity to reach out to them. That's your challenge for those of you who believe in Jesus. Now know and recognize that there's some people here that probably don't believe in Christ. And praise be to God that you are here and you are seeking. And I'm sure you have questions right? And, and you feel like, man, I have questions. I don't know the answers. I'm uncomfortable. This is the safest place to ask those questions. You're in a room full of people that know that they're sinners. <laughs> we all have baggage, doubts, fears, worries. Don't let your heart be troubled. You can always ask the question. There's no judgment. So my challenge to you, as a, if you're an unbeliever, ask the question. It might take you out of your comfort zone. But if you don't ask your question, think what might happen. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, where would we be? Would the early church have exploded like it did? The historical documents that we have expounding upon Everything that's detailed, quotes from outside the Bible, referencing letters within the Bible. The Pharisees couldn't find the body. They paid off the soldiers at the tomb, saying, hey, uh, it's some hush money. (laughs) You let everybody know that you were beaten up. Jesus did raise from the dead was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, preparing a place for you and for me. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. I told you I'd reference this slide again. The way, the truth, the life covers a lot of our fears and doubts. As we conclude this morning, uh, this, this teaching time. I just want to invite you to bow your heads as we pray. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we pray. I, I first just want to give you a moment to just pray with the Lord, to ask the Lord 
Lord, what, what can I take away from this? We've unpacked a lot this morning. What, what's something I can take away from this, this passage in Scripture and apply to my own life? And then I'll, I'll wrap us up in prayer. Lord, the challenges are there. Lord, we need your help and your power to step out of our comfort zone. The comfort zone can be the comfort of being busy, the comfort of knowing my way and not yours. But Lord, just ask that you would help us to submit our hearts to you, to open them, declare that you are Lord and that you are piloting our life. Help us see opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, to reach out, and have an impact beyond our own life, but to have impact for you. We want that joy. Father, we just ask that we would just be in unity with you in this. Amen.